Welcome back to Sports Crutch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Well, 2018 training camps are officially in the books, and we are halfway home in the 2018 NFL preseason. And that means this week, all 32 teams will prepare for preseason game number three, which is essentially the so-called dress rehearsal for the regular season. And there was also a ton of interesting stories to take away from the prequels to this upcoming dress rehearsal. And to recap what we saw this past week and preview what to look ahead for in these all-important third preseason games, what better person is there than my main man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, pal? I missed you. It's only been a week, but I miss you every time. (laughs) I always miss being on here as well, David. I'm very excited for preseason week three. It was nice to see some starters out on the field in week two, but this is this is when it starts to get real. So very exciting week of football here. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of info that could help you in your upcoming fantasy football drafts. So stay tuned for that. But let's start off with some of the storylines that we gleaned from week two. And staying with the rookie quarterbacks for a minute, Josh Allen has exceeded my wildest expectations, and perhaps most other people's wildest expectations this preseason. He definitely looks the part. He is throwing the ball much better. His accuracy has improved dramatically on those short to intermediate throws uh, due to the improvements he's made in his footwork. But if there is one thing I'm still concerned about with Josh Allen, it's his mental processing speed. Uh, he He was known as a slow processor coming out of Wyoming, and it was evidenced on one play last week when the Browns sent a corner blitz that he didn't see coming. And once uh, they snapped the ball, it was too late. And that cornerback was already breathing down his neck and he dropped him for a mega loss. So that is concerning. But because uh, he has uh, progressed faster than expected, the Bills are going to be giving him a chance to get that starting job for week one. Josh Allen will be starting the third preseason game for the Bills against the Cincinnati Bengals uh, this week. But as Chris Bortson added to that report yesterday, he said that this is no guarantee that Josh Allen is going to start uh, in week one. But regardless of how Josh Allen performs week one, that mental processing part is so crucial. And with that uh, subpar offensive line in front of him going into a hostile environment in Baltimore against one of the league's best defenses, dare I say, um, that might be asking too much for Josh Allen early on. So what I'm asking you, Hal, is should Josh Allen be the starter for the Bills in week one, or is it too soon to throw him into the Wolves by then? Well, I think a lot of that is going to hinge on what he does in game three. You know, he, he showed those that inaccuracy in the first preseason game. He looked overmatched a little bit um, against Cleveland. He, you know, stepped up. He really performed better than as you had said better than than any of us had really expected and you know with a, the the news coming out as well that you know AJ McCarron isn't does not have a broken collarbone as was initially feared that he could be ready for week 1 this is a big game for to see what Allen really does against a non vanilla defense in the NFL i just think that you know there there's just too much on tape of him from last year when he was in Wyoming, there was just too much inaccuracy. Any of the any good competition, he he looked completely overmatched. And so, I I think with Buffalo, we're probably going to end up seeing AJ McCarron starting in Week One. 
I think we'll see um, on Sunday, it's the national game on Fox, and, and we'll see Cincinnati with a game plan on defense probably take apart um, Josh Allen and kind of undo some of that uh, good progress we saw here in week two. Oh, I completely agree. I think uh, with uh, a game plan against him, with teams, uh, the Bengals in particular, I expect them to disguise a lot of blitzes that Josh Allen will be caught off guard by, and that will expose the weakest part of his game, even more weak than his accuracy, dare I say, which is his uh, slow uh, mental processing during the play. And I think that the Bengals are going to shine a light on that and show the Bills to not rush Josh Allen into the fire early on because, uh, I'm not saying a step back this week will harm his growth at all. I think it will only help it for him to um, stay on the bench for a while and continue to make that progress and build on the amazing progress he's already made. And the longer the Bills wait to get Josh Allen out in the field, the better he'll be and the more likely it is that he'll have a better career than most of us anticipate. Definitely, David. And, and you know, with the Buffalo fan base as well, they've been down for so long. I mean, you're really going back to to the Jim Kelly era to to have hope at quarterback and and the team the team's fans want Allen to be that guy so bad and that you know everybody's picking up on this in Buffalo this week and and riding that that enthusiasm but like you said I I agree with you as well the longer that they can redshirt him this year half the season the full season whatever it takes let him grow let him process and come back in 2019 with him behind center and ready to play in the NFL. I can only pray that that happens because as critical as I was of Josh Allen during the draft process and as much as I was begging the Denver Broncos, one of my favorite teams, to not take Josh Allen, I want Josh Allen to prove me wrong. I interviewed Josh Allen at the Senior Bowl. I was able to ask him a question at the opening press conference. He's such a wonderful kid, and he doesn't deserve all this hell being thrown at him all at once. I just don't want him to embarrass himself. I want him to succeed and prove all of us wrong and be that rare exception to the rule uh, of uh, being a subpar uh, thrower in college and becoming a a terrific thrower in the NFL. I just really hope this uh, farm boy from Fresno proves us uh, all wrong and has us uh, with that on our face in a couple years. Agreed. You know, I mean, it's it's always it the the city of Buffalo has needed this boost, this enthusiasm at quarterback. It, it's so needed. It's it's good for the NFL to have exciting young quarterbacks in the league to you know help with the ratings and and keep the fans in the all thirty two uh, locations excited about the season. And so, you know, I'm rooting for Allen as well. I'm, I have the same, um, you know, concerns about his potential growth, but he, as we talked about, you know, he is a boomer bus prospect and that, that boom could be a huge boom. And so we'll see what Buffalo does with him, uh, not just in week three, but throughout the season as well here. Yes. And moving from one side of Lake Erie to the other in Cleveland where in preseason week two, Baker Mayfield didn't have as sexy of a stat line as he did in the first week of preseason. But as Dan Orlovsky pointed out on Twitter this morning, he looked better still. Uh, There was this one play where Dan Orlovsky pointed out where uh, in preseason week one on that fourth down play, Baker Mayfield uh, didn't get rid of the ball despite a potential open target and decided 
uh, to run for the first down. It was a good decision, but Dan Orlovsky wanted him to learn how to stay in the pocket and make uh, uh, those types of quick decisions. And he faced a similar decision. I believe it was a first down play where he saw that all the throwing lanes were choked off by the Bills defense and he instantaneously decided to dump it off to Nick Chubb for a one yard gain. But that showed tremendous improvement in decision making and quick thinking from that first game. And also in that game, he still had some amazing throws. He just was able to jump two or three times in the pocket and and just find a guy downfield with his absolute pinpoint accuracy. And after seeing how much Baker Mayfield still grew from game one to game two, uh, despite a, a less uh, thrilling stat line, uh, that tells me that this guy is very, very close to ready to getting some reps with that first team offense. But the Browns are adamant saying, no, 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 no. We are going to leave those all to Tyrod Taylor for the remainder of preseason and maybe beyond. And isn't this textbook organizational malpractice by the Browns to not give Baker Mayfield reps with that first team offense sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i seen Tyrod Taylor the last couple of years in Buffalo and he has flashes. Um, he beats up on bad teams. He's a good quarter. He's he's an adequate starting quarterback. He's an excellent backup if you go to him for two or three games during the season, I think. But I mean, Baker Mayfield, the the potential of the kid, you know, the where he is already coming into the game. Um, another another play I had highlighted when I was watching the the Browns and Buffalo game as well was early in the fourth quarter. They were in a, a goal line situation, and he just made a perfect back shoulder throw to the back of the end zone there was nobody could catch it other than the receiver I think it was Derek Willies was the receiver and unfortunately he caught it but landed out of bounds but you know put a different receiver over there to catch that ball and that's a touchdown and that's a throw that you know you're only seeing a handful of quarterbacks that are able to consistently make that throw and to see him doing that in his second preseason game I I, I don't understand the Browns not giving him a chance to win the job because whether, you know, you want him to or not, you want to go into the season with a rookie or not, and you've you've got to let the best player have a chance to win the job. And if he wins it, play him. Oh, I completely agree. And But it's clear that Tyrod Taylor will be under center week one against the Steelers. But like I tweeted out this morning myself, if the Browns lose their first four games – and in embarrassing fashion as well, Hugh Jackson should be fired and Tyrod should be benched PDQ. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I, I don't understand Hugh Jackson still having a job right now. Oh, he should have been fired last year. Oh, my God. <laughs> he shouldn't have gotten through the season last year. I don't. I mean, that last, I mean, everybody's talking about the Browns, but that Browns team last year was a six or seven win team yes, with an adequate th- coach. There's plenty, there was plenty of talent last year. Uh, yeah, yes, was- Sashi Brown was made the scapegoat, but it was Hugh Jackson's fault, not Sashi Brown's. The NFL cocoon won again. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I think, it, I, I just think back to, you know, um, Bill Belichick in 2001, where he had Drew Bledsoe had just signed the, the the biggest contract in NFL history at that time, and with Tom Brady went out and executed that offense exactly how he wanted to, and he made the change, and he never looked back. You've got to 
you know, if you doesn't matter what you're paying, who you have as the starter, when somebody wins the job, you've got to let them win the job, let them take the job and deal with everything else after the fact. This is the NFL. You put your best players on the field or else you're going to be one in 31 and that's not going to change. Almost definitely not, and hopefully we see Baker Mayfield out on that field with that first-string Browns offense sooner rather than later. Come on, Browns, do the right thing. And moving on to the New York Jets, whose quarterback situation might have gotten a little bit more interesting uh, this past week, with uh, Sam Darnold having just an okay performance this week compared to what he had in the first preseason game, but he was still pretty good. But Teddy Bridgewater absolutely stole the show. He looked like a guy that you didn't even think suffered a catastrophic knee injury two years ago and has been out of football for that long. He looked as fresh and as accurate as he's ever been. But the NFL still doesn't view him as a legitimate starter right now. The calls that the Jets have gotten have only been to acquire him via trade for a backup quarterback spot. And to me, that doesn't make sense, but the NFL is still leery of that knee injury, apparently. And the Jets are not going to let him go, as Ian Rappaport reported last night, without a significant return on the, on that investment. So if you are the Jets, and if nobody comes forward with an offer of a second round pick or higher for Teddy Bridgewater, should the Jets just hang out to Teddy Bridgewater, even though Sam Darnold is likely to start the entire season and get a high 2020 compensatory pick for Teddy Bridgewater instead? Well, it, it, it does make sense. I mean, my first move would be to be looking to move him because obviously Darnold, you know, was a little shakier in week two, certainly, but he still had a lot of, um, you know, he still looked good in the pocket. He still looked like the same quarterback and he looked like the, the future still. Um, Teddy Bridgewater's in on a one year deal. They've only invested, I think it's a million dollars in his contract. So, if he's gone, you know, there's no big outlay of cash there. I, I, you've, you've got the, uh, I mean, the, the Jets have gone from having nobody at quarterback to now having multiple options there is in just one offseason. McCown is fine as a backup. He's fine in that spot. And I really worry if they try to keep Bridgewater and keep him on the bench, if that doesn't become an issue for them, just because he's going to be, he's going to be doing everything. He's in a contract year. He's on a one-year deal with the Jets. So he wants to get out there. He wants to play. He wants to boost his value because he's going to be the top free agent on the market next year, as it looks right now. Oh, if that's the case, he most certainly will be the top free agent on the market uh, in 2019. But as Daniel Jeremiah also pointed out last night, the Jets really believe that having uh, Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater in the same room with Sam Darnold is both crucial and indispensable to his long-term growth. So if no um, trade offer that entices the Jets comes forward for Teddy Bridgewater, um, why isn't it the worst thing for the Jets to keep Bridgewater in the fold for the entire season and uh, just let him walk in free agency next year and coup a uh, 2020 uh, third-round pick? Bridgewater hasn't been in the position really of having been a backup. It's always been his job. I mean, he came back so late last season being ready to play. I just don't, I mean, he's a first round draft pick. He's been the starter in Minnesota. I, I don't see him as being 
as accommodating as McCown would be to being a backup for the Jets. And if he's not a part of the long-term future for the Jets, it's I see it as it's going to be a negative having him in that quarterback room. I, I don't see any positive of it. I see McCown as the mentor. I don't see Bridgewater as being accepting of that role, knowing that he's not going to be in New York next year, knowing he's not the long-term plan, and knowing that you know the more positive tape he has out there in the regular season, the higher his pay is going to be down the road. So for the Jets, I think you're getting into a locker room situation where you're going to have other players, you know, supporting other quarterbacks. And that's a bad thing for a team to have is when you have a quarterback controversy. I think it was Bill Parcells who said, if you've got two starting quarterbacks, you've got none. So I wouldn't want that mess in New York. That is a very, very, very good point, Hal. But the Jets made it clear that they want a major compensation to trade Teddy Bridgewater away, like a second-round pick in the 2019 draft to replace the one that they lost in the trade-up for Sam Darnold. And uh, it's probably going to take an injury to some starting quarterback for a team to bite on that. But if it requires the Jets to meet somewhere in the middle, uh, would you be content to give him away for like an additional third-round pick in 2019? Uh I, I would. If I'm the Jets, I, I'm trying to get anything back in value for Bridgewater that I can, because at this time, I, I just feel like he's going to be more of a distraction starting in week one and, and more of a negative just in that he's he knows he is not the future and he's good enough to start. Cash out while you can. You gotta, you've got to chip. If if you're going to try to wait until there's an injury, wait for the trading deadline, you may shoot yourself in the foot and, and waste an asset and, you know, get a compensation pick only for him, which isn't going to be in next year's draft, but the year after. Yes, decisions, decisions await Mike McCagnin and that front office with the Jets. And now moving on to another intriguing backup quarterback situation in Denver. I was at the preseason game in the Mile High City between the Bears and the Broncos, and the big star of the night was arguably Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly, uh, building off his uh, amazing debut in week one of the preseason, albeit that debut had a, a lot of clunkers in it as well, he showed dramatic improvement against more difficult competition. He didn't put the ball in harm's way any time. And he only made one head-scratching decision, which was where he uh, ran out of bounds to take a two-yard loss as opposed to just throw it away. But that's something uh, he could learn from. But if Chad Kelly continues to grow the way he has so far in the final two preseason games, should the Broncos be content to keep Kelly as Case Keenum's backup, or should they still pursue a veteran to play that role? Yeah, I was very impressed with Kelly. Um, there was definitely an increase in energy just in the whole offense around him while he was out on the field. He, he, he's showing that he has the arm to make the throws, the processing of the defense. And when he came out as Mr. Irrelevant in the 2017 draft, you know, there was a lot of talk that Kelly is a, a second or third round talent if he hadn't have been injured. And he's really looking like a great draft pick for John Elway right now. And I, if I continue to see this promising tape in the preseason, I would be more than confident not only with him going forward as the backup during the season, but if the season gets away from Denver again, thinking of him as an option 
to get him some live reps out there in the last quarter of the season. That is going to be a very interesting story to watch as preseason play unfolds. And moving to the Colts, where last night, after an efficient performance in the first preseason game, Andrew Luck struggled last night going 6 for 13 for 50 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception, which was on a careless, careless play where he uh, decided to, like, uh, um, he rolled outside the pocket, he threw it into tight coverage, and the closest guy to that was uh, Levine, the Ravens defender who did a masterful job of swatting the ball to himself for that interception in the red zone. And based on the injury that Andrew Luck is coming back from, and as was shown last night, the lack of proven weapons he has outside of T.Y. Hilton, how much should we temper expectations for Andrew Luck in 2018? You know, I I thought he was sloppy, but you know what? He hasn't played in a while, and I'm not tempering my expectations. I expect him to be right back up at the the level he was. Um, You know, I think there's still some questions on that offensive line as well. But, you know, um, Anthony Costanzo wasn't out there against Baltimore, who's a a very, very good defense that he was going up against as well. And, you know, I thought it was a decent performance. He looks rusty, but that's expected. We knew we were going to see that this preseason out of luck. And there were still enough good decisions and decent throws as well out there that I'm still encouraged with luck and and not tempering anything here. Yes, I think it's going to take some time, though, for him to regain his prior form. But that might happen at the midpoint of the season or towards the latter part of the season. But still, uh, he still has ways to go. But he did have some encouraging moments last night. He uh, made some nice, uh, accurate uh, throws that were very quick including some on third down, although he didn't uh, throw the long ball last night, but that'll come eventually as he starts to trust his shoulder more. It's a matter of patience with Andrew Luck this year, and I think uh, once everybody on that offense gets healthy, keep in mind he also didn't have T.Y. Hilton last night. As long as T.Y. Hilton and and, and that offensive line uh, stay healthy, uh, Andrew Luck could rediscover his prior form um, earlier than most of us anticipate. I agree. You know, it, I, I look at it more as, as a growth. It was a step forward physically. It was a step forward mentally. He's still on that road to recovery. But I think the fact that he, he was fine, he got sacked by Terrell Suggs, that, that's a legit step forward for any quarterback as well. Get that out of the way in the preseason. And I think by, you know, I would even say earlier by week three or four, I think we'll see the same old Andrew Luck back out there for Indianapolis whipping the ball all over the field. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Stan, what other performances in week two of the preseason stood out to you? Well, I really liked what I saw out of Chris Carson in Seattle. Um, He looked tough to tackle. He was running hard. I think he only finished with 34 yards on nine carries, but, but it was other than the, the other than that fumble, you know, which is always going to be the concern with Carson. But he had a touchdown call back too. Exactly, and and he ran hard and he looked really good. I thought I I was very encouraged by him. And if Seattle can get a running game back in place with that offense, that's going to take a lot of pressure off of a defense that's very young right now, and uh, an offense that's you know missing a few weapons in the passing game compared to previous seasons. So. I was very impressed by that. 
other other players that I, I thought stood out. I, I really liked seeing Sam Bradford not only healthy, but on the field for Arizona uh, going up against New Orleans. He looked the same efficient Sam Bradford we've seen when he's healthy. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think that was a good that was a good good first step for him to be out there, look like his normal self again, maybe take some pressure off of uh, Josh Rosen as well out in Arizona. Oh, absolutely. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, fullpresscoverage.com. Also catch his work at bostonsportpage.com and musketfire.com for Patriots fans. And you can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, it is always a pleasure having you on this show weekly during football season. But before we go, uh, we have to look forward to week three of preseason action. And this is the week where us that have our fantasy drafts coming up, we have to watch preseason games for clues that could give us a potential competitive advantage on our opponents uh, in our fantasy league drafts. And those clues uh, are going to be plentiful this week, as most starters will see at least a half of action. And let's start with some fantasy clues to look for in preseason week three, and starting with the Titans who play the Steelers. When I look at this Titans offense, you have Matt LaFleur, a bright young offensive mind, a Kyle Shanahan disciple, who was the quarterback's coach for the Falcons in 2016 during Matt Ryan's MVP season. That should have ended in a Super Bowl victory. No offense, Patriots, to that great comeback, but the Falcons should have won that game still. And last year in 2017, he was the Rams offensive coordinator where Jared Goff finally broke out and played like the first overall pick that he should have played like uh, earlier. So this is a golden opportunity for Marcus Mariota to have an epic bounce back season. And I'm looking at multiple things on this Titans offense, like who gets the goal line carries? Is Derrick Henry the goal line back like we all suspect? Or do they give Deion Lewis uh, some carries around the goal line as well, because uh, choosing between those two backs in fantasy, uh, conventional wisdom says take Derrick Henry, especially in non-PPR leagues, because he's the touchdown guy. But Deion Lewis, definitely in PPR leagues, and if he could uh, get more um, goal line looks in this game, that could challenge that conventional wisdom. And also, which of the wide receivers uh, outside of Delaney Walker? Delaney Walker's a tight end, but they're all pass catchers. Delaney Walker, I assume, will be Mariota's uh, top target still. But which one of those wide receivers does Mariota trust the most? Is it Corey Davis, like the hype suggests out of training camp? Or is it Taewon Taylor? And when you go to the Steelers, we stick with wide receivers. James Washington was arguably has arguably been the stud rookie of this entire preseason. He has made big plays in both games, and he's showing why he was the Bolitnikoff Award winner in 2017. And I'm wondering if he gets any reps with that first-string offense. And if he does, how much does he eat into Juju Smith-Schuster's target share? Because right now, Juju Smith-Schuster is being drafted as early as the late third, early fourth round of fantasy drafts, man. It's... Uh, and but you got to be wary of James Washington if you're targeting Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, there, there's a lot of excitement out there with that Tennessee offense. To start with that, I was really excited watching Taewon Taylor last week. I'd like to see if he continues that growth. Um, you know, he he looked just explosive for that offense. And at the same time, you know, you had brought up Corey Davis as well, who, who saved his breakout game for the, for the playoffs against the Patriots, where he routinely burnt Malcolm Butler throughout that game. So you get a great battle there. Look who Mariota is targeting. Is he going to Taylor early? Is he going to Davis? 
how much time does he have back there? That's going to be a big part of trying to figure out who's going to, who's got that lead as the, the wide receiver one in Tennessee for sure. And then the other side on Pittsburgh, I'm really high on Juju Smith Schuster. You know, Antonio Brown's going to get his targets. I don't have any problem as him as a, as my wide receiver two in my office because we know Ben Roethlisberger is going to throw the ball 35 times, especially with Le'Veon Bell potentially holding out. So Juju Smith-Schuster watched the targets in this game as well, but I, I think he's a legitimate um, early round draft pick at wide receiver, even with Antonio Brown getting his dozen targets a game. Oh, Antonio Brown's not the issue. I'm more concerned about James Washington siphoning targets away from him than Antonio Brown. Possibly. I mean, there's there's such a, a wealth of talent there in Pittsburgh, but I think Schuster, Smith-Schuster, you know, he's continuing to grow as a route runner, you know, working with Antonio Brown. I'm not feeling that that pressure on him. I still think he's the legitimate number two wide receiver in that offense, which is going to put him as, you know, a, a number one just about stat-wise compared to anybody else. Yep, so those are the clues to watch for in the Titans-Steelers game. And moving on to the game before that on Saturday, which is the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes going to Chicago to take on Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears. Also a reunion of coaches between teacher and student Andy Reid and Matt Nagy. And in Denver last Saturday, I saw, albeit it was an up-and-down performance and still a lot of things to get better on, it was easily Mitchell Trubisky's best performance so far this preseason. He looked very good targeting Trey Burton and Anthony Miller in the middle of the field. And a quarterback like Trubisky, he's way more efficient targeting the middle of the field as opposed to the perimeter. But I also want to see how his connection is with Allen Robinson as opposed to that of Trey Burton and Anthony Miller. I think he trusts Burton and Miller more because he's more comfortable in the middle of the field. But in order to take that next step in his development, he's going to have to um, really find a rapport with Allen Robinson, especially in the red zone. Robinson is ranked as like the 34th, 35th, or 36th overall player on ESPN's fantasy big board. But I want to see that connection between Trubisky and him before preseason ends to justify that ranking. If not, I'm dropping Robinson down my board. As far as the Chiefs are concerned, there has been some talk out of camp that Spencer Ware could siphon a lot of touches from Kareem Hunt this year. But last week, Kareem Hunt got all of the first team reps. And that's probably because Spencer Ware wasn't playing. But if Spencer Ware does play this week, I am going to pay attention to how much, or if any, he cuts into Kareem Hunt's load. And if he like uh, plays like around 25 to 30% of the snaps or more, don't you think that might be enough to put Kareem down, down your fantasy board just a little bit? Oh, definitely. I mean, that was one of the things I was looking at coming into this preseason as well was was what was the distribution with the running backs in not only in Kansas City, but also in Chicago as well. Um, you know, Kareem Hunt did a lot of work for Kansas City. He was thrust into that number one role. But but having where back, he was a big play, he was supposed to be a big part of that offense last year. And I think he will cut into uh, a lot of what Kansas City does with Kareem Hunt, trying to keep him fresh for later in the season. Um, we saw the drop off in Hunt last year in the second half of the season as that that longer season started to pile up on him. So I, Andy Reid's a very smart coach. He's going to be managing his time a little bit more. 
He likes what he has in Spencer Ware. I think we'll see a lot more of of a Spencer Ware, especially in the early half of the season. And, um, you know, maybe this is a situation where you're following who has Kareem Hunt and gets um, frustrated with him at midseason and may maybe pick him up on the cheap when Kansas City starts increasing his role in the second half of the season, getting towards the playoffs. And the same with the Bears. You've got the you've got the thunder and lightning combination there with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. I'm going to be watching to see how they break up the playing time there in the first uh, the first half of the game there with a with a full regular packages out there. I think Tariq Cohen, um, you know, I had him on my fantasy team last year, and I, I thought he was a little bit underused by the Bears. I'd like to see him out on the field cutting into some of Jordan Howard's carries as well. Oh, absolutely. And heck, uh, he could be Matt Nagy's version of Tyree Kill in Chicago, albeit different positions, uh, similar weapons that could give you explosive game-changing plays. Exactly. And and as you had talked about with uh, the Tennessee wide receivers, another one, Taylor Gabriel, who's going to be in the slot there as well to see how much heat playing time they're going to go with the three wide receivers, whether he's worth a late round pickup to steal some uh, receptions. And Kansas City as well. I, I mean, I, you want to see what the distribution is. How often are they going to Sammy Watkins? They made a big investment in Watkins. And is he going to be taking touches away from Tyreek Hill? And how is that offense going to look? Um, you know, because Patrick Mahomes certainly showed he has the arm to get the ball downfield. And uh, it's going to be tempting not to keep loading it up on Tyreek Hill there. Oh, absolutely. Now with uh, Pat Mahomes under center, Tyreek Hill could get even more long touchdowns this year than he did the past two years. And he had quite a bit of those. So that speaks volume. And going back to thir- to Friday night, the Patriots travel to Carolina to take on the Panthers. And I have my eyes on running back situations in this game. Christian McCaffrey is climbing up draft boards because as we've seen through the first two preseason games, the talk of Ron Rivera and Norv Turner saying that they want him to touch the ball 25 to 30 times a game could actually be real. Like he got a goal line carry in the first game against Buffalo and he's played over 80% of the snaps for the, the first team offense at running back. So I want to see if they give him another goal line carry if that comes to pass or uh, and if they keep him in above 80% of the snaps. And if they do that, I think Christian McCaffrey could be an early second-round pick, if not a late first-round pick in some fantasy formats. And as far as the Patriots are concerned with their running back situation, Rex Burkett. If he does play this week, I want to see how he fares and whether or not that knee injury is that he can survive the whole season through it and if he is indeed the Patriots' primary goal line back. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation with the running backs. Um, I just think with Ron Rivera, he loves those those bruiser backs. I worried about the fit with McCaffrey last season just because, you know, he, he seems to revert to when they get in trouble running the ball. And, and maybe C.J. Anderson being there is just too tempting for him. So we'll see what that split is with McCaffrey and C.J. Anderson on Friday night. It should be very interesting to see how they dole out the carries there. Um, I just worry with Ron Rivera, um, you know, just not being, you know, just getting into that pound the ball mode too often. Um, that, that really scares me with Christian McCaffrey. 
I think it's a good plan to get him the ball 25 times. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get him to that point. And as you said, in New England as well, uh, I think a lot of people just assumed that the Patriots' plan was, you know, take out Dion Lewis, insert Rex Burkhead. But again, that knee injury, he hasn't been on the field. Sony Michelle has been sidelined 11 straight practices now. We haven't seen him as well. So what looked like a deep group at running back, it really looks like it's going to be very interesting to see that running back mix. And then, you know, as we talked about wide receivers, I mean, nobody has any idea what the Patriots are doing at wide receiver right now. They're, they're without Edelman the first four games. We've seen Chris Hogan, um, you know, Philip Dorsett certainly didn't look like a, anybody would anybody worth drafting so far through two games of the preseason. Kenny Britt hasn't been able to get on the field and, and really who's stepped up and, and looked like a uh, potential big play receiver, surprisingly, has been Corderell Patterson here in New England, who's, who's made some, some acrobatic catches and some big plays downfield through two preseason games. Oh, yes, indeed. Lots of uh, interesting things to look out for as far as the Patriots' offense is concerned. But back to that running back situation for a moment. Rex Burkhead is probably going to be playing through that knee ailment all season, and Sony Michelle has a knee ailment himself that will likely be an issue all season. So in your eyes, don't you think James White could be the steal of fantasy this year in the double-digit rounds? Oh, definitely. I mean, White is basically, you know, a, a a wide receiver lining up in the backfield in the, in the way he's been able to operate for New England. And last week against Philadelphia, he showed his ability to run between the tackles, which is something that we haven't seen a lot of out of him. And he had a very impressive game running the football. So if he's moving more into taking some of that um, hybrid back role from Burkhead, where he's a run and pass threat, um, yeah, he's looking like he's potentially right now with all those injuries and un- uncertainty in the backfield as he could be a fantasy steal coming up uh, so far this season. So it'll be very interesting to see what his role again is in week three of the preseason. Oh, yes. And if he definitely gets a goal line carry in week three, I'm bumping him up up my board. Oh, for sure, because. You know, really, the only other option so far has been Jeremy Hill. Mike Gillisley has continued to uh, to be a disappointment running the football. Two yards and a cloud of dust is what he looks like. So, um, you know, other than Hill, and we don't really know. what I mean, we've seen the Patriots uh, get, what was it, 18 touchdowns out of LeGarrette Le- Blunt a couple of years ago in one season. So um, whoever's carrying the ball at the goal line, is going to be a very important fantasy option, and that's something to watch on Friday night. Most definitely. And moving on to Sunday night, where the Cowboys will take on the Cardinals. And for the Cowboys, I'm obviously watching if there's any wide receiver that's clearly emerging as Dak's go-to guy. And arguably, no wide receiver has been more impressive for the Cowboys than their third-round pick, Michael Gallup, out of Colorado State. Michael Gallup, he's not the most athletic kid in the world, but he is a very smart player. He has very quick processing. He runs great routes, has very clean mitts. And he could end up being the number one guy ahead of Alan Hearns for the Dallas Cowboys this year. And based on the fact that uh, Dak looked for him for a touchdown in week one and he looked for him on third down on that first drive, I think 
we see Michael Gallup continue to solidify himself as that go-to guy for Dak Prescott uh, this week. And as for the Cardinals, I'm looking to see which pass-catching target is becoming the third option behind David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. And a guy that I think should contend for that role is Ricky Seals-Jones, who kind of had his coming out party towards the end of last season. And Josh Rosen, I think, is going to be on the field sooner rather than later because you can't trust Sam Bradford to stay healthy. But even with Sam Bradford on the field, Sam Bradford loves those tight ends and Josh Rosen is going to love that safety valve in the middle of the field. And Ricky Seals-Jones could play that role if David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald are taken away by opposing defenses. Oh, definitely. I certainly agree there. I mean, when you think of Arizona, um, you know, when you think of what that offense was in the past around Larry Fitzgerald, where they had those deep threat options, um, that's not the case anymore. Uh, Christian Kirk's been slow out of the gate there. I've never been a Bryce Butler fan. Um, J.J. Nelson is, is really just a backup. And so they're going to have to find targets in that offense other than David Johnson. As much as they'd like him to touch the ball 400 times, there's got to be somebody else on offense. And Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, you're always looking for that tight end that can, um, you know, give you that consistent five or six catches a game there. Um, he's definitely an option in my mind. And really somebody that could have a big breakout season, as you said, with somebody like Sam Bradford, who knows how to get the ball out of his hands quickly um, behind a bad offensive line. So that's a very intriguing battle. And and as you said, the Cowboys as well. Um, Terrence Williams has shown he's Terrence Williams. I don't think he's going to take another step forward. Cole Beasley seemed to have lost a step last season. I haven't seen any evidence on tape that he's gotten that back. Um, they brought in Tavon Austin. I think he's just a gadget. I don't think he's a wide receiver at this point of his career. And I agree with you. I've really liked what I've seen out of Michael Gallup so far. I think Dak, Dak Prescott is going to get the ball to whoever he is comfortable with, whoever's in the right spot, whoever is, uh, you know, he can get make that connection with. And right now it looks like Gallup has the leg up on Hearns, and I would definitely have him ranked ahead of Hearns on my fantasy board right now. Me too. And moving on to that other Sunday game between the Bills and the Bengals that we alluded to earlier. For the Bills, I'm wondering if the talk of Calvin Benjamin being a target monster this year is real. And it wouldn't surprise me if it is, even with the addition of Corey Cohn. Because yes, Calvin Benjamin has bad knees, but he clearly is the best wide receiver on that roster right now. And he is that big target that will definitely help out A.J. McCarron and or Nathan Peterman or Josh Allen, whoever's under center week one, uh, on third downs as well as in the red zone. And Kelvin Benjamin, I saw A.J. McCarron looking his way all the time uh, in that game on Friday night, and I would expect Josh Allen to look his way a lot on Sunday. And if that persists, Kelvin Benjamin could be a terrific buy in the double-digit rounds in terms of volume. He's going to get a lot of volume with the potential to deliver you a touchdown uh, on an occasional basis, given that quarterback situation, but he could make the difference between a win or a loss on some weeks, given the amount of targets he is likely to command this season. As for the Bengals, what percentage of the first team snaps does Joe Mixon play? The Bengals have said that they have plans for Joe Mixon to become more of a workhorse this year, and I need to see a, a healthy snap count and a healthy amount of touches for him uh, this week to make him worth a third round fantasy investment or earlier. 
definitely. I, I think Mixon is one of those running backs that there, there's a lot of hesitancy in the fantasy draft right now because any sign of, you know, not being being that guy, they, they've got Gio Bernard who knows this offense inside out. He's ready to step in and steal carries uh, at, at a snap. That's going to be very very interesting to see how he's deployed this week and, and watching that game on Sunday afternoon to see what his role is and if he is truly going to be that number one in Cincinnati that you can comfortably draft early in the season. And and going to Buffalo, um, you know, it's been the LaShawn McCoy um, offense. They really don't have a lot of other options other than McCoy. You, you see them run a lot of the two tight end offense. If you see that again, you know, maybe you start thinking about Nick O'Leary as a late round uh, steal where he can start taking some targets away from Charles Clay, who's been a, a highly paid disappointment in Buffalo. At wide receiver, there's not a lot of options. I, I, Zay Jones kind of underperformed last year. He wasn't where you where Buffalo really wanted him to be. Uh, Jeremy Curley at this point of his career is just another guy. I'm not sure where Corey Coleman is on that offensive mix as well. That'll be something to see how quickly they integrate him, having gotten him from Cleveland. But but like you said, I, I saw the, the same thing as well. McCarron looking for that big target, Kelvin Benjamin. I think they're going to lean on him, especially early in the season, no matter who's at quarterback, just because of that lack of established ta- uh, targets and lack of proven commodities on offense outside of LaShawn McCoy. And moving on to another Friday game in our nation's capital between the Broncos and the Redskins. And the big thing I took away from the Broncos offense on Saturday night was how in sync Case Keenum and Emmanuel Sanders appear to be. A quarterback like like Case Keenum, Case Keenum last year targeted the slot like on over half of his pass attempts, and he had a great route technician in Adam Thielen to throw to. And I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to be that guy for him this year over the middle. But I am interested if his chemistry with Demarius Thomas is close to the level that it appears to be with Emmanuel Sanders, because it isn't. Emmanuel Sanders should be going higher than Demarius Thomas in fantasy drafts. And for the Redskins, another slot receiver, Jamison Crowder, uh, because word headed out of training camp that Alex Smith really trusts Jameson Crowder, and he is arguably the his was arguably his most favorite option in training camp. And with uh, Jordan Reed, uh, you never know if that guy is going to stay healthy or even uh, play football longer if he gets another concussion. So if uh, if Jordan Reed goes down, Jameson Crowder could be Alex Smith's favorite target in the slot. So I want to see if that connection comes to fruition this week. Yeah, it's very interesting in Washington just to see that playing time at wide receiver. Um, they've got Paul Richardson they've invested in at that position. You've got former first-round pick Josh Doxson as well. And, you know, Alex Smith, it's going to be interesting. You know, he, he added that long ball to his uh, repertoire the last two years in Kansas City. Is Paul Richardson going to be that guy, or is he going to get back to that dink and dunk and lean on somebody like Jamison Crowder, Jordan Reed, the second tight end, Vernon Davis as well, and continue that that short to intermediate game that was what defined him in the past? Um, It'll be very interesting to see how that Washington offense is deployed uh, out there 
and then going to Denver as well. Demarius Thomas is somebody that has really been tumbling down my draft boards the last three years. Um, I think we've, you know, injuries is certainly a part of that, but as a receiver is aging and they lose some of that natural strength and quickness and speed, how they're adapting on the field, what changes they make as a receiver. And you've seen Emmanuel Sanders continue when healthy to be an active part of that offense. Demarius Thomas, you know, he's talked a lot about his issues over the past couple of years that maybe he hasn't disclosed. He hasn't been as healthy as he was, but, but I need to see that on the field before he starts coming up the draft board. And especially with Cortland Sutton looking as impressive as he has in preseason as well. I see that as something just bringing Thomas down as well. Um, Denver for me as well. I, I'm looking at the running backs as well. I love the pick of Royce Freeman. Um, they, getting him in the third round I thought was a steal. He's looked explosive at times. He's looked lost at times. I, I think he's really going to be pushing Devontae Booker and really see what's going to happen out of that Denver offense and, and how they deploy those running backs and how each do um, behind that starting offensive line here in week three of the preseason is going to be very, very interesting to watch. Oh, it is. And if Royce Freeman continues to improve his blitz pickup and he gets to be slightly below average to that uh, during some point of the season, I expect him to become not really a workhorse, but getting maybe north of 50% of the carries. I could see that. I mean, like I said, he's running the football. He's exciting. He can catch the ball. And it's like you said, it's it's those little things that the, the running backs have to learn coming into the, the NFL that, you know, you let your quarterback take a, a, a big hit off of a blitzer because you whiff on a block. You're going to be nailed to the bench by all 32 NFL coaches because that just cannot afford to happen in the NFL with the investment teams are putting into their quarterbacks. Yes, indeed. And moving on to another Friday night matchup, the Battle of the Big Apple, as the Giants take on the Jets for their preseason dress rehearsals. And as far as the Giants are concerned, I want to see improvements from that offensive line, especially in the run game. Because outside of an amazing 39-yard run by Saquon Barkley in Week 1, I think the Giants have only been averaging like around 2, maybe even less yards per carry. They've been atrocious. Uh, Nate Solder um, has been exposed. Uh, Tom Brady hit a lot of his weaknesses. Nate Solder is very, very finesse. He just does not... Uh, drive piles in the run game. And Will Hernandez, as much as I love him, he seems to be miscast in that Pat Shermer zone blocking scheme because Will Hernandez, his he's more tailor-made for a power man blocking scheme. But Dave Gettleman just sees him as a typical hog molly and decided to draft him in the second round. They're going to have to really do some soul searching on that offensive line as far as this season goes. And as far as the Jets are concerned, I want to see how good Sam Donald's chemistry is with Robbie Anderson, because Robbie Anderson is clearly the best um, skill position player on that team outside of quarterback. Maybe even better because Sam Donald is still an unproven entity at the NFL level. And Robbie Anderson is a guy that Sam Donald is going to have to look for a lot this season, especially to give the Jets that those home run plays that they're going to need to make the difference in games. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting um, battle going on in the wide receiver core for touches with the Jets right now. Um, I'm expecting Darnold to get that starting job there. Anderson is the most talented. He's got the off-field issues going on as well. 
Um, Terrell Pryor, nobody knows after that great 2016 season and the, the way he fell off the face of the planet with Washington last year, you have no idea what you're going to get out of him in the regular season. And coming back from injury, their are almost 1,000-yard receiver Quincy Anunwa. Um, is he healthy enough? Is he going to be featured in the offense? He's really, you know, could step in as that sideline possession receiver and pile up a number of catches and yards in that offense. But to see how they're deployed is going to be very, very interesting because there are so many unknowns with that Jet offense right now. And as you had brought up, um, I've watched Nate Solder the last, um, you know, seven years in New England as well. It's he's a very slow starter. It takes him a while coming out of the gate every season. I thought it was very, very funny this offseason hearing the, the Patriots fans, um, the talk radio, social media, you know, uh, all is lost. Nate Soldier's gone. The same ones that have been been calling for his head the last three seasons, especially um, with the decline in his ability to create space in the running game and hold up against speed rushers, especially at left tackle, crying about his loss when they've been leading the charge to run him out of town. So You're clueless. <laughs> it's hilarious. And, and on the other side, you know, I don't think flipping Eric Flowers to the right side is the solution to getting him back on track. I think he's just a straight-up bust. No, no matter where you play him on the offensive line, he just doesn't have the footwork and the the strength to match up against the pass rushers. And it, it's not 1976. You can't throw somebody over at right tackle and say, well, now I don't have to worry about him blocking pass rushers because in the last 10 years, it doesn't matter. Right tackle is, is, is as important as left tackle in the NFL these days. There's no disguising. There's no hiding anybody on the offensive line. And for the Giants, they're going to have to you know, keep Eli Manning protected to get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. and create some space for Saquon Barkley because it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you've got two guys hitting you at the line of scrimmage on every running play, you're not getting any yards. You most certainly are. And continuing with the Saturday night national primetime preseason dress rehearsal between the Los Angeles Chargers and the New Orleans Saints. And as far as the Chargers are concerned, Keenan Allen is going in the early second round, if not late first round, and rightfully so, because with Hunter Henry likely out for most of the year, there is some hope that he could return uh, later in the year because he tore the ACL in May, kind of like how Melvin Gordon did in 2013. He tore his ACL in May and came back in December. Uh, that's still on the table for Hunter Henry, but through most of the year, uh, without a proven tight end on the roster, uh, you are going to need somebody to step up in the red zone, and that candidate is Keenan Allen, but... There's some another guy named Mike Williams who they drafted with the seventh overall pick in 2017 that is making his case to put him on the field more often in those situations uh, with the first-team offense. And I want to see if they do put him on the field and with that first-team offense in a red zone situation because that will tell me that, oh, maybe we need to temper our expectations for Keenan Allen in the red zone this year a little bit because uh, he might be doubled and that might free up Mike Williams for one-on-ones. So... That is what I'm paying attention to the most from a fantasy lens as far as the charters are concerned. And for the Saints, obviously, I'm looking at that backfield. Alvin Kamari got Mark Ingram suspended the first four games of the season. And the way they used him towards the end of last year, they gave him more snaps than Mark Ingram. And Alvin Kamara could be able to take on an additional workload this year with the Saints. But 
Jonathan Williams was a very underrated player coming out of college at Arkansas, and he's bounced around the league since he was drafted in 2016. But I want to see how many snaps Jonathan Williams gets with that first-team offense. Because if he gets like 25 or 30% of the snaps, that should, in my opinion, disqualify Alvin Kamara for being a top-five fantasy pick this year. Yeah, Alvin Kamara is a very interesting fantasy case. In that, you know, New Orleans, part of the the strength of Kamara as a rookie was that they didn't wear him down. He's not the biggest running back. He's not the size of Ingram back there who's going to pound. You know, he was attacking the, the sidelines in the running game. He was attacking the, the middle of the field in the passing game. Um, and I think keeping him fresh and limiting his snaps is part of why he was so effective. And I think the the more that he plays, if if New Orleans is thinking that he's going to pick up the slack from Ingram, especially in the first four games, and pick up a bigger workload throughout the season, I think you're going to see some of that, you know, just from taking so many hits over the season, that effectiveness is just going to exponentially decline for Kamara. So it's going to, they need that second running back, especially the first quarter of the season they need somebody to replace Ingram for those first four games and get back to that offense of, of limiting Kamara. And I think it's, you know, I don't have Kamara as high up on my draft board just because he's a little more of a known quantity. Defensive coordinators have a little more tape on him as well, recognizing when he's on the field, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses is. And so for New Orleans, it's going to be very important to get that, you know, uh, Jonathan Williams is really, you know, the next one in line behind Ingram to step in and, and take that role. It should be a very interesting to see, as you had said, how he is deployed in this offense in this preseason game. And on the other side, again, um, where the tight end has been so important for Philip Rivers, basically his entire career, um, going into the season with Hunter Henry obviously on injured reserve, may come back, may not. Uh, Virgil Green is the top target. I don't see a lot of people um, being in a rush to scoop him up, who's been primarily in the role as a blocking tight end, as somebody who's going to be flying up their draft boards at tight end. I think they realize Rivers is going to have to make an adjustment this year. Um, Mike Williams, like you said, was a huge disappointment last year. Uh, Tyrell Williams is just another guy. It's really putting a lot of pressure on Keenan Allen in that offense. And whether they can get somebody to step up, whether Travis Benjamin is able to, as a gadget slot receiver, be able to take some of those carries, but particularly in the red zone, I think I, I'm going to give Keenan Allen a little boost on my draft board just because there's so many limited options, but we'll see how they deploy Mike Williams in preseason game three, and maybe that'll give us a great clue as to what they're doing with that offense with the Chargers. And now I'm going to switch it over to you, Hal, and you tell us what you are looking for in the rest of these preseason dress rehearsals from a fantasy perspective, starting with Thursday night's lone game, the Super Bowl champion Eagles and Nick Foles taking on the Cleveland Browns. Philadelphia, obviously, we haven't seen a lot out of the the running the running back position. Um, a lot of the uh, been looking at different players. 
Philadelphia loves to use the different running backs in different situations. So I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with their deployment of running backs now. Um, Jay Ajaji seems to be the number one uh, running the ball, obviously. But he might not play this week. Exactly. And so they've got Corey Clement, who had that breakout game in the Super Bowl. The Darren Sproles is back from injury as well. How are those two going to be um, in the offense? They still have Wendell Smallwood, Danell Pumphrey, who flashed at times last season early on as well. Um, so it's it's a very intriguing uh, mix of different running backs in Philadelphia, and to see how that how the ball gets divided up between them is going to be very very interesting from a fantasy perspective. Um, with the with the Eagles offense here. Um Cleveland as well, I think, you know, it's it's gonna be a situation in the passing game that Jarvis Landry is going to continue to get his targets uh, just like he did in Miami as well as that top option out of the slot. Um David Najoku's looks like he's growing um after a, a solid rookie season. He looks like he's ready to take a big step forward. Um but that third option in the passing game is going to be so interesting to see with Cleveland as well. Um, who's going to be that next wide receiver to step up? Is it going to be Antonio Callaway? How is he? How much playing time is he going to get in the first half? Or is it going to be uh, somebody else that's going to uh, step up if Josh Gordon isn't ready to go at the beginning of the season, uh, having been out of uh, out of the training camp for the most part and just starting to get back now. So some intriguing uh, matchups there to see who's playing and getting the targets at wide receiver in Cleveland. Yes, and since uh, the Eagles are also dinged up on offense, we mentioned Jay Ajayi, uh, Nelson Aguilar might not play in this game. So the Eagles, uh, you're not going to get a lot of hints from them as far as fantasy is concerned from this preseason game. But if there's one thing I'm looking for is how uh, they align the tight ends in the red zone because Dallas Goddard could prove to be a key weapon for them in the red zone, especially if Alshon Jeffrey misses some time to start the season. And pairing him with Zach Ertz could be a lethal pair for whoever is under quarterback the first week of the season. Definitely, definitely. Yes, and now moving on to the Lions traveling to the big sombrero to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What are you looking for from both teams from a fantasy lens there? Fantasy-wise, I think Detroit, um, you know, they're pretty much set at their big two at wide at wide receiver. You're going to see a lot of Golden Tate. You're going to see a, mar- a lot out of Marvin Jones. But this is a backfield where is it theoretic going to be the key guy? Does Amir Adula able to car- carve out a role? What are they going to use LeGarrett Blunt for? Is he going to be stealing carries at the goal line and stealing touchdowns away from these other running backs? And the one I thought was has been very impressive as well is Carryon Johnson, their second-round pick. What's his role going to be in the offense going forward here for Detroit? That's something I'm going to be very interested in seeing is how they're how that playing time is going to be divided up between that group as well, um, because that there's a, a lot of intriguing running backs from a fantasy perspective in Detroit that we can uh, be looking at there as well. Um, Tampa Bay with them as well. They've got a um, again, the, the number one is undisputed 
as far as the receiving game. It's Mike Evans. There's no doubt about that. We're going to see um, plenty of passes his way. I'm really interested in Deshaun Jackson's role in the offense. I thought he would have a bigger role last year. It didn't really uh, come about that way. I thought he was really a disappointment, and I thought there would be more competition brought in for Jackson. So we'll see if they think Adam Humphreys is someone that can take that next step up as the third wide receiver, or if they're just going to lean on Cameron Braid at tight end. Um, there's a lot there's a lot of question marks on that Tampa Bay offense, and I don't know if we're going to get everything, uh, enough clues in week three to be able to decipher if there's anybody there um, besides Mike Evans um, as a as a top fantasy op- option coming out of that offense. Yes, and two other, three other names to pay attention to on that Buccaneers offense are two of their 2017 draft picks, O.J. Howard, their first-round pick at tight end. Is he ready to take that next step? And Chris Godwin, their third-round pick at wide receiver in 2017 out of Penn State. Chris Godwin could be getting a lot of looks from either Ryan Fitzpatrick or Jameis Winston. But uh, we're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick with the ones this Thursday, I assume. So we might not get the full picture um, as far as those targets are concerned. But what I'm watching for for Tampa Bay the most is Peyton Barber. Uh, Ronald Jones, their second-round pick, rookie running back from USC, he is struggling mightily, uh, especially in the passing game. In pass protection, he's really struggling. And uh, the Buccaneers running backs coach, I believe, said something that's very telling when he said that, I could see why they only threw the ball to him 17 times in college. That speaks volumes. And Peyton Barber is running away with that job. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick starting the, the first three weeks, the Buccaneers are going to want to keep the ball on the ground to to keep their defense off the field and to keep those tough opposing offenses that they're going to face the first three weeks of the season off the field. The first week they're against New Orleans at the Superdome, and the second week they travel home to play the Eagles. So they're going to have to run the ball a lot for, to give them the best chance to win. And Peyton Barber was graded by football outsiders as one of the top 10 most efficient running backs uh, last year in terms of uh, analytic stats. So Peyton Barber is the guy I'm watching when it comes to Tampa Bay on Friday night. And now moving right along, we have the Vikings hosting the Seahawks on Friday night. Uh, you mentioned Chris Carson. Is there anything else to look for as far as the Seahawks are concerned fantasy-wise? And what should we be watching out for as far as the Vikings are concerned as well? Seattle, I'm going to be looking at the wide receivers. There's been a lot of turnover in the wide receiver position there. Um, I'd, I think Brandon Marshall looked like he was done last year when he was with the Giants. I don't really think that he's going to have a big role, but I'm not sure how much Seattle's going to push him out there. As, uh, Brian Schottenheimer really seems to like having that KG veteran there as part of his offense. Um, I want to see Jaron Brown, uh, if he's able to to help uh, stretch that field and and make a difference for Russell Wilson. And is Tyler Lockett ready to step in and be, you know, one of those big options out on the offense opposite Doug Baldwin? Um, Because who else is going to pull down those passes from Russell Wilson? It's going to be a a big part of the, the, the Seahawks offense, something to look for. On the other side with Minnesota, we talked about uh, Stefan Diggs and Kirk Cousins last week. Um, very, very highly rated Stefan Diggs. I think everybody's expecting him to take a big step forward this year. Um, 
One player who we haven't heard a lot out of, uh, Laquan Treadwell, was a first-round pick a couple years ago. Is he finally ready to step forward in year three and uh, make an impact on that Minnesota offense at wide receiver? And if so, is that going to affect Adam Thielen, who had such a great year last year? Uh, I think he was ended up fifth in the NFL in receptions. Is he going to be taking a step back as Kirk Cousins gets more comfortable with other targets uh, rather than Thielen, who was uh, so in tune with Case Keenum last year. Uh, how is that wide receiver depth chart going to break out in Minnesota, and, and where are all those targets going to go to? I think that's what I'm going to be looking for uh, in this Minnesota-Seattle matchup on Friday night. You bring up a good point about Laquan Treadwell. As was told to us by Miles Gorham of the Climbing the Pocket podcast during our Viking season preview episode, he says that Laquan Treadwell appears to have locked down that number three wide receiver spot down and expect to see a lot of Treadwell in the red zone, and he could siphon touchdowns away for both Diggs and Thielen. So watching for him in those red zone packages this week is a must for all fantasy owners to determine whether or not to pay an early price for Diggs or Adam Thielen. And now moving on to the Friday night nightcap in the Bay Area where the Raiders host the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers is not going to be playing in this game. So is there anything we could get out of the Packers? Um, it, it's going to be really hard, um, you know, with, with just a backup quarterback in there with Brett Hundley. You know, maybe I'd be looking at how they're dividing up the carries at the running back position. Uh, Ty Montgomery's handled a lot of the load the last couple of years. Is Jamal Williams ready to push him aside? Is he is he going to be getting that playing time in the offense and a bigger role? Is is you know where are we going to be drafting Jamal Williams? We may get a clue out of that um, from the Green Bay Packers. That's that's all I'm really seeing from from that side as far as any clues that we get about them on offense here as well. As far as Oakland is concerned, there's a lot of questions still with that offense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what uh, John Gruden does with that, with offensive coordinator Greg Olson. Obviously, Amari Cooper is going to be a big part of that offense, but um, John Gruden loves Martavis Bryant, trying to find a role for him. How many touches is he going to get? Obviously, Jordy Nelson is looking to prove something after – uh, Green Bay really um, let him go this off season and wasn't really interested in bringing him back. So, so how those touches? And of course, they still have Seth Roberts, who is such is such a weapon as well for um, you know being able to get that yards after the catch. So how these how the ball gets divvied up in Oakland in that offense is going to be something we should be getting a clue as. Is there anybody besides Amari Cooper that's worth drafting on the Raiders? Yes, and I want to see what they're doing at running back, too, man. With that offensive line, arguably the best interior offensive line in football with Kalechi Assembly, Rodney Hudson, and Gabe Jackson. Uh, Marshawn Lynch looked very, very good in that first preseason game against the Lions where he had that long touchdown called back by a penalty that shouldn't have been called back, dare I say. And But John Gruden and the Raiders beat writers appear to be buzzing about Doug Martin, Doug Martin, Doug Martin, eating into Marshawn Lynch's carries. I want to see just how much Doug Martin does, because I'm personally hoping that Gruden does the right thing and realize that Doug Martin... Uh, is a very, very limited player. He is also very inconsistent as well, and that he rides Beast Mode, who still has plenty left in the tank. Indeed, that is an interesting matchup. 
um, it, with them as well. And don't forget Jalen Richards as well, who is a, a big play back potentially out of the backfield. Does he sneak in and steal carries away? Uh, who's going to be the number one in Oakland is at running back is going to be very, very interesting to watch here. Yeah, and they have a rookie undrafted free agent running back, Chris Warren the third, that's been outstanding this preseason. And Chris Warren's obviously his father, I believe, was a Pro Bowl running back for the Seattle Seahawks back in the day. So he is a sleeper to pay attention to in that game as well in the second half of the game. And heck, Gruden might give him a chance with the ones given how good he is. And we all know John Gruden's gonna want to run the ball a lot, so that backfield in Oakland is something to pay attention to this weekend. And the Houston Texans travel to L.A. to take on the Rams. It should be an offensive showdown in this game. Oh, definitely. Um, I'm, you know, I've been so impressed by the limited action of Deshaun Watson. Um, he's, as always, you know, just picking up where he was last year in limited playing time. So, you know, they're going to be throwing the ball around a lot in Houston as well. Um, I'm going to be really interested in looking at Lamar Miller. I, I keep expecting him to do more uh, since Houston got him from Miami the the last couple of years. I feel like he hasn't been used to his potential. He's got so much um, ability in the passing game, able to run the ball. But it looks like, you know, Adonta Foreman started taking some carries away. Alfred Blue's still an option in the backfield. So that Houston backfield is something... I'm going to be very interested in, is Lamar Miller ready to move into that top stratosphere of running backs? Um, and then as far as the Rams, uh, there's just so many op- offensive options on that team. Um, I think Gurley's locked in as the number one. Uh, he's going to get the ball in the passing game. He's going to be running the ball multiple times. But last year's impressive rookie, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, who had a resurgent after being buried in Buffalo. Brandon Cooks, who's a thousand yard receiver, added to that mix as well as that deep threat option and how how Los Angeles moves the ball around that offense and gets these guys these targets is going to be very, very interesting to see where that ball's going and how they're utilizing their wide receivers in the different packages to kind of give us a hint on playing time and, and who's going to be piling up the yards in that explosive offense. Oh, that wide receiving core is a very confusing scenario for fantasy owners, and and hopefully Saturday will give us the best clues possible into how Jared Goff divvies up those targets between those three wide receivers. And the 49ers are traveling to Indy to take on the Colts, and Jimmy G has looked awfully impressive, and I... I want to see if this Marquis Goodwin hype train continues to roar loudly this weekend. Oh, definitely. I mean, he, once Jimmy Garoppolo stepped in last year for those last five games, it was a um, instant connection between the two. And it, it was, it was amazing to see how all of a sudden, you know, whoever had been fortunate to be carrying Goodwin got a superstar for those last five weeks to help, push them through the playoffs there. Um, you know, they still have Pierre Garcon there. There's, you know, Dante Pettis they drafted in the second round is a very intriguing talent there as well. And, you know, Garoppolo loves his tight ends in the passing game as well. So Garrett Selleck and George Kittle 
So there, there are a lot of different options in the, the San Francisco passing game. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of packages they have out there in, in the offense, which players are on the field at the same time. Because from a fantasy perspective, I'm still not sold on Goodwin yet. A strong finish to the season. I want to see if he really is a is a number one and whether we're going to be able to see that in week three should be interesting. And then flipping it around to Indianapolis, um, there's a lot of options in that running game that still have to be sorted out as well to try to figure out who's going to be carrying the ball because that offensive line is still growing and evolving with Quentin Nelson there, their first-round pick. Anthony Costanzo's dinged up as well. So they've got to find another option in the passing game other than just Jack Doyle short and T.Y. Hilton deep. Um, and some of that is going to have to come out of the running back position. So which of those four backs, you've got the two rookies, Hines and Wilkins. Is it Robert Turbin? Is Marlon Mack going to be able to contribute in the passing game? There's a lot of different options that we have to see play out in Indianapolis to figure out who is going to be that option for fantasy. And moving on to Jacksonville, where the Jaguars host the Falcons for their preseason dress rehearsal. And as far as the Falcons are concerned, uh, Dan Quinn is going to play it safe, and I honestly don't blame him for doing so by uh, sidelining uh, Devontae Freeman and Julio Jones for the but I really want to see the Falcons in this game. Calvin Ridley had a very, very promising performance for the Falcons last week, and I want to see how Matt Ryan divvies up the targets between him and Muhammad Sanu. Because if Calvin Ridley is getting more targets than Muhammad Sanu, he could be a fantastic late round buy because he could slide into that old Roddy White role that has been uh, missing in action for this Falcons offense the past couple years since Roddy White has retired. That That's a great point. I mean, Calvin Ridley, a um, lot of hype as a first round pick. I think he went a lot later than people expected in the first round as well. I certainly thought he was going to be a top 20 pick. And Mohamed Sanu seemed to take a slight step back last year. I'd be I'm very interested to see that wide receiver battle and see if Ridley is going to jump ahead of Sanu there as well. And, and of course, it's Atlanta. So you're always trying to see what the how they're dividing up the running back position between Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman getting carries there um, because both of them are so supremely talented and it's just hard to, to divide those up between those two. Um, and then flipping around to Jacksonville, that wide receiver position, uh, you've got DJ Chark, the impressive second-round draft pick at wide receiver. You've got D.D. Westbrook, who showed flashes of breaking out as a rookie last year as a as a threat. They've got Keenan Keelan Cole at wide receiver, and they've invested in Marquise Lee. Is he ready to be the number one wide receiver and put up a wide receiver one stats with Blake Bortle as his quarterback? So all eyes on that Jacksonville wide receiver group as well. Yep, especially Keelan Cole for me. There's been a lot of talk out of Jacksonville that Keelan Cole could become Blake Bortles' go-to guy in the passing game at some point this season. And last but not least, you got the Ravens traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins for their preseason dress rehearsal for the regular season. As far as the Ravens are concerned, um, hopefully we get to see Alex Collins this week because I want to see how often he is the guy in the backfield and how much, if at all, do either Kenneth Dixon or Buck Allen eat into his touches and snaps. 
Yes, that that's a very very interesting battle because again, it, there's a lot of uncertainty as who's going to get that playing time, where the ball's going to go as well. Um, in the passing game, I thought Joe Flacco looked great last week. Um, you know, I think that competition from Lamar Jackson is certainly helping him take a step forward and certainly a lot healthier than he was last year as well. And is Michael Crabtree going to be that number one receiver in the offense? There's, there's been a lot of turnover there with those wide receivers. They brought in Crabtree. They they brought in John Brown from Arizona as a deep threat. We know Flacco loves to throw that deep pass. Is there going to be an option there as John Brown is a as a big big threat down the field? And also Willie Sneed as someone who totally disappeared from the New Orleans passing attack last year. Can he work his way into that depth chart there? And, and how much is he playing and how much is he getting the football is going to be something to watch. And in Miami, that running back situation as well um, is going to be interesting. The ageless wonder Frank Gore has been brought in. Kenyon Drake looked very impressive as well uh, in his uh, time taking over in the second half last year. So how they divide up those carries how much work Frank Gore is going to get with that that number one unit is what I'm going to be looking for with the Dolphins. Yes, we will find out exactly how overvalued or undervalued Kenyon Drake and Alex Collins are in that game. Hal Bent, thank you as always for coming on the program, and we look forward to doing it again with you next week as we get ready for the fourth and final week of preseason and eventual roster cuts. I'm excited for it, David. Just a couple of weeks until the regular season. This is great. Everything's coming together in the NFL, and it should be a great slate of preseason games this weekend. It most certainly is, and we'll all be watching. And thank you very much, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back with the latter two editions of our annual Fantasy Deep Dive series later this week, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as a blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.